0: I want to give a shout out to Aventus, the world's leader in trade surveillance for digital assets. Trusted by Coinbase, Gemini, OSL, and many others, Aventus is also helping scores of other firms enter the crypto market. For digital asset trade surveillance, think Aventus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at Exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And today joining us for his second appearance on The Scoop is an old friend of The Block, Peter Smith, co-founder and CEO of Blockchain. You probably know Blockchain for its long tenure journey in the crypto market. It was best known for its wallet business, but now it's one of the biggest institutional players in the market. And I think... At last check, but you know it's ever changing. You guys clinched a 5.2 billion dollar valuation, one of the many firms to raise hundreds of millions in recent months. What are we at now? Are we at 10 billion now, Peter? What's 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 the latest? We
1: haven't uh, disclosed a financing since the one earlier this year, but the business is doing well. You know, I think just like sort of uh, the whole market, it's been a really interesting time for us. And I think the thing that I'm really excited about is the performance that we've seen so far in Q3, where, you know, business has held very steady. Uh, we just had our uh, all-time month for uh, EBITDA in July, which was a month where a lot of firms were, were a bit down. And that's coming off the back of really strong growth in the institutional business. So I think, and I think it's an exciting time to be alive in crypto.
0: It's an interesting picture you're painting juxtaposed with some of the things we're seeing out of firms like Robinhood, which had 40% of their transactions coming from crypto, 62% of which came from just Dogecoin trading. And they kind of warned the market that that activity might slow down. Do you think that things are looking stronger on the institutional side, which is helping a firm like blockchain, whereas retail seems more uncertain?
1: Yeah, I think when you look at Robinhood or Coinbase's retail revenue. It's very cyclical. So it'll vary month to month tremendously. And obviously, July was a slow month for both of them and for us as well in our consumer business. Consumer was notably slower in July than it was in, for example, May or January. Institutional is a bit different because a lot of it's long dated and it's less driven on what happened yesterday. In our case, and most of our institutional clients are more thematic or sort of in the infrastructure side of the industry. And so that business sort of continues, you know, regardless of week by week market volatility or conditions. And that's for what it's worth, why we have an institutional business and a consumer business is so that we have sort of diverse and durable revenue that offsets.
0: And a large chunk of that institutional business is, is lending. What's that business been looking like?
1: Yeah, so you know, we do a few things in our institutional business. The two largest are lending and structured uh, products. So structured products would be things like derivatives, options, offtakes, that kind of thing. And then lending is, you know, very understandable. We loan you capital and, and you pay us interest. Both of those businesses have grown quite a lot this year. Our clients have grown and we've grown with them and then we've added a lot of new clients as well. But I think, you know, in terms of how that's changed, I think that almost the entire lending market at the end of last year was about leverage. You know, a lot of the market was folks financing the GBTC trade. And for us, at least, that's entirely disappeared. So a lot of our book is more what we would think of as fundamentally driven now, rather than short-term leverage driven or, you know, carry trade driven. And I think that's been really healthy for our business because it means that revenue grows kind of regardless of whether there's a huge demand for leverage.
0: We've talked about this in the past, right? The kind of the degree to which there's too much product leverage in the market, the degree to which there's not enough institutional leverage in the market. And you've been pretty outspoken about that. You know, the backdrop, right, on the retail side, FTX has come down from, you know, 100X, I think they had to 20. Binance has also come down to 20. Do you think we've kind of... Gotten out of those weird blow ups, given that there's less sort of leverage in the system?
1: I don't think there's meaningfully less leverage in the system. I don't think that like folks trading over 20x leverage were, you know, accounting for that much of the open interest or that much of the leverage in the system anyway, mostly because they got whacked out so quickly, mm-hmm. um, you know, stopped out, account zero. And I still think 20x leverage in an asset that moves as hard as crypto does is still quite a lot of leverage. I'm not sure it's great for consumers uh, to be trading on 20X leverage. You know, That said, I think that leverage has reduced in the system, and that's probably more to do with the return of spot-driven crypto markets. So when we're, we're looking at the market over the last you know, month to two months, we're seeing the price being driven by spot markets, followed by the leverage markets, rather than the other way around. Uh, Which means and mostly the price has been moving up in the last few weeks and that's been on the back of very large spot buying and I think that's really healthy so for me one of the things that I'm really encouraged about in the market is that the market is grinding higher and holding levels and it's doing it on mostly spot rather than leverage in the system which is a sign of a lot of capital inflow and I think something to be pretty positive about from like a market condition standpoint.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're basically saying, you know, this 45 right now looks a lot more stable than 45 a few months ago when it was kind of all being juiced up. For sure.
1: You know, I think in quarter one, most of the market gains were attributable to leverage positions. And now most of where we're at is from the spot market. And that's a way better position to be in.
0: Yeah. But even if like folks aren't as leveraged up as they were, does something like 60% of all Robinhood users holding Dogecoin concern you. Like if Dogecoin goes down a significant amount, like all those people are going to get burned and that could have its own ripple effects. Not cascading liquidations, but, you know.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm always concerned about sort of the swath of the market that is sort of what you could call active trading or meme stocking, which, you know, is a big part of, you know robin hood or ftx's user base like you know i think one of the things that you saw in coinbase's most recent report was the percentage of folks trading things besides bitcoin and ethereum is really up and you know when most of the economic value whether you're looking at market cap TVL, is on two chains but most of the volume is away from those chains i think that's kind of a troubling sign and one of the things that i tell folks getting into crypto all the time is that you have to really bias against getting rich quickly in crypto, like you know, taking huge positions in a really early crypto project when most of the value has accrued to Bitcoin and Ethereum over the last three years. And there's always gonna be exceptions to that that are both short-term and long-term. You know, so an example would be Ripple, right? Ripple was a top five asset in the last big run when you got into crypto and then you got into crypto and you know- Ripple died. It it's died. Right. And so
0: that was. I don't know if that's a causation. I think it's causation. My entrance to crypto. Hard hitting facts based journalism. I I barely, you know, I barely wrote about it uh, until they started getting delisted. I was breaking a lot of those stories, but I did write one article about Ripple breaking into Asia when I was at Business Insider. It was like a random pitch. Anyway, enough about Ripple. More about let's talk about blockchain. So you've raised all this money. What have you been doing with it? What do you do with $300 million? Have you given yourself a nice new cappuccino machine or something? What's what's the spend? I haven't seen like, are you guys going to do like some big like marketing? I feel like there's a lot of that in crypto. Well, you know, I think mostly what you do with capital is figure out how to
1: efficiently deploy it. And, you know, our institutional business consumes capital. That's the reason that we raised quite a lot of money in quarter one was the institutional business was growing very quickly and it needed capital. I think that, you know, for us, we've been profitable for quite a while now. So, you know, when we raise rounds, we're, we're not using it to hire people or buy cappuccino machines. You know, we, we could probably buy infinite cappuccino machines on, on gross profits alone these days. But um, I think that a large part of what you're doing with that capital is preparing for the future, whether that's growth in the business or, you know, turns in the market. One of our biggest focuses here is making sure that we're here in 2030. And that means like a lot of prudent risk management, both on the regulatory side and on the finance side, neither of which are like sexy or fun, right? It's more fun to like, say that we're, you know, trying to figure out how we're going to buy JP Morgan. But in reality, like, we're a very fundamentals driven business, which in crypto is a lot about risk management. And you stockpile capital for exactly that reason. But I think the, you know, the most interesting thing that you're seeing in the capital markets today in crypto is this really large influx of crossover capital so a huge example of that would be tiger which has been just enormously active in the space over the last year and that's probably coming off the back of you know a really successful investment in coinbase a few years ago and so there's this virtuous cycle of Mm. investors that you know may have written a small check three or four years ago that's done really well for them which has increased their appetite to invest in the space and i think that's going to compound over time Right, it's a little bit like tech like i think of crypto as like a whole new ecosystem a whole new market not as part of tech you know not as part of vc tech and so when you look at tech like there were very few vcs and very little vc capital 20 years ago now there's a huge ecosystem of capital that backs tech companies in crypto if you go back to like when coinbase or blockchain were raising our first rounds there was very little capital You know, like uh, all the capital deployed in crypto was like one of our rounds, right? (laughs) And so now some folks have made money. Specialist firms have been created like Paradigm or Polychain, Pantera. Crossover firms have come into the space and there's this ecosystem of capital that continues to compound, which means that you'll be able to finance businesses more easily in our ecosystem. When you think about creating an entire ecosystem and an entire market, that's really bullish over the next five to 10 years.
0: Do you think there's too much capital?
1: Um, as someone who like competes with all the people getting funded, sure. <laughs> I'd like a great capital market for myself and no one else. But you know, coming off that kind of sarcastic comment, I think it's actually good. You know, It's something that the very early founders talked about a lot. If we raise capital and no one else does, it's gonna be a pretty boring ecosystem by ourselves. If Coinbase is the only successful company, it won't be a very interesting crypto market. If Bitfinex is the only venue to trade on, it won't be a very robust market. And so, you know, you kind of have to think when you're building a whole new space, like, how do we build a whole space? And then how do we build a company within that space? And I think that the capital availability is going to create a much bigger market. And I'm more excited about a much
0: bigger market. Mm, That's a fair point. But do you think like when you have these kind of rounds happening so within such close proximity of one another sure there are firms that are going to be prudent they're going to put it towards beefing up risk management beefing up the balance sheet but as we oh there is some
1: absolutely stupid shit going on right now
0: yeah well it kind no of it kind that. of you know harkens back to the days of the ICO boom when you have too much money kind of breeds a degree of of a lack of discipline
1: for sure and the natural evolution there is like the market will correct it. You know, like the market is is savage uh, and we will correct it. And I think one of the other things is, you know, the availability of capital becomes taken for granted. Mm. Like, oh, we can do this huge deal because, of course, we're going to raise this next financing, right? We can... You know we can we're seeing this all the time folks are spending more on paid acquisition mm-hmm. they're at, like they're p- paying for installs at such a high rate that there's no way you're ever going to roi on that they just want it for market share right and you saw this in ride sharing you know before it's a it's an old story it's not even related to crypto but when capital becomes very very available people start doing things that are no longer efficient uses of capital and that's where it's like short term versus long term in a market that's going up and expanding everyone looks like a genius. Like, you know, you'll uh, talk to a crypto business that nearly died and 3 months later they're doing great and they're like, "Yeah, we really turned it around." And it's like, "Well, let's have some intellectual honesty here. The market filled your sails with wind and now you're doing a good job of sailing. But are you ready to survive the next time the wind drops?" And I think when I look out over the space right now, there's going to be a lot of folks who are unprepared for that.
0: Yeah, it's been funny. I tweeted out um this morning, I saw it in the journal last night that Coinbase has kind of created a stockpile to prepare for crypto winter. Um, their CFO said that you know they want to ensure that they can maintain those cash reserves in that event. And everybody on Twitter is kind of like, "Ah, oh, what? You know, what are you doing? Put it to work." You know. Yeah, I
1: think the the companies that have been operating in the crypto space the longest are building huge cash reserves right now. We are. Coinbase is. And I think that's that's telling. We've learned hard lessons about that. Like, you know, both ourselves and, and Coinbase have had times in the past where we wish we had bigger reserves and we won't repeat that mistake.
0: Yeah, 100%. What do you think were some of the toughest moments in the last like bear market that maybe like scars kind of make you think about having to be more disciplined?
1: Well... A lot of entrepreneurs have that like oh shit moment where they like couldn't they were worried about making payroll or stuff like that. I've never had that moment. You know, I've never gotten that close. But I think in the last bear market, I definitely got to the point where I was like, you know, if this bear market goes on another year, things are going to get we're going to be making very hard choices. And at the time we were investing a lot of capex into our institutional business build out. You know, so we were You know, we had seen some institutions get like a little interested in the last market, which means that in the next market, they'll probably actually do something. So we're like, oh, shit, we better build in between. But that building is very expensive. And one of the mistakes that I made was, you know, frankly, hiring a lot of pretty expensive sales folks too early. Mm. Right. And it was sort of a mistake made by a lot of crypto companies at the time. Totally. And you actually wrote articles about all the layoffs. So you remember like, and it wasn't coordinated at all, but there was like that week where like there was a a big reduction of sort of former finance professional staff at Coinbase. And then like a week before that us and a week before that Genesis. And it was like, everybody was Jetsoning expensive salespeople at the same time. (laughs) Do you remember that? Of course. And we were like fucking Frank writing about this. After
0: after that happened, the team was like, all right. We kind of like put like um, a brief ban on writing exit stories because it was just every story on the site. And the team was like, all right, we get it. Everybody's leaving. You know, let's, let's, um, we, we try to, we, we kind of reemphasize like, all right, if they're leaving, like find out where they're going. Why does this matter? Versus like, cause at the end of the day, all just started blurring together. Yeah. It was like
1: this, you know, this high profile hire sales hire is leaving this high profile sales hire is leaving. It's like, oh my gosh. And it was just like, well, it was just too early. It was too early. Right?
0: And honestly, like. It wasn't a. It wasn't specific to any firm. I'm trying to think like who maybe played it the best. You know, I think you're you're right in saying that like everyone kind of succumbed to this, maybe except for like Binance, which was just coming up at the time, so they didn't really. It's not like they had already had a retail business and then were you know what institution is going to like trade with Binance in earnest? But you know, yeah. So you had Coinbase shut down their Chicago thing, which they had spent millions of dollars on. You guys had some folks leave you know, kind of Arisex and Fidelity's launches were relatively stalled to a degree, or at least they just kind of came out at the wrong time. And then they had layoffs. BitGo had 30% headcount reduction.
1: Yeah, we never did like a percentage-based headcount reduction. It was just like, you know, we took a hard look at institutional sales in that market and we're like, it's just not going to (laughs) happen. Like, it's like this significant payroll. And you're like, it's just not going to happen.
0: So when did it start to shift? And now what does the institutional landscape look like? What players are, it seems like they're all there, right? You know, you mentioned Tiger. We see point 72. We see third point. Are they all here now or are they all here but still need to, they're only kind of. We're at like the
1: tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. You know, we're at like folks making their very first. You know, maybe 30% of institutions have actually thought about something. Maybe 10% have, like, onboarded somewhere. Mm. And and I'm talking about, like, big Western institutions. And maybe, like, 2 or 3% have actually transacted in a meaningful way. Mm. Like, we are at the tip of the iceberg. And to be fair, we're kind of at the tip of the iceberg in consumer, too. Like, crypto is not a daily part of most consumers' lives, whether you're looking in Europe or the U.S. You know, and even if you kind of zoom back and look at, like, the total market cap of crypto you know, maybe at 1.5 trillion you look at that against like assets in the world it's like a drop in the bucket and so you know the institutional segment has grown extremely quickly and you know we've been fortunate to be a big part of that but it's still a, a drop in the bucket i think the other interesting thing is there being so many crypto native institutional clients totally right a lot of our business serves other crypto focused companies crypto focused institutions and that's a really positive development from a creation of like a healthy market structure. But it's just, it's the very beginning in terms of institutions. And I would say probably still the very beginning in terms of consumers as well.
0: Well, that kind of speaks to what you were saying about the compounding effect. These crypto native institutions are becoming big. I mean, like you mentioned some of the names, Paradigm, Pantera. I mean, these are, these are firms that are managing just as much as some of the Funds we held our breath for in 2018 to enter the market. And what are they going to do? Like when A16Z makes all this money from Coinbase and Tiger makes all this money from Coinbase, they're going to put it back into crypto. You know, you have a firm like Lightspeed, which you guys are close to. They've put 400 million in crypto so far. They're raising another five to six billion right now and are at about 12 billion.
1: Correct. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things to think about is whether five to 10 years from now, the biggest institutions in crypto will be institutions that existed before crypto or crypto native Mm. institutions. And I think there's a really big chance that when you look at the five biggest institutional clients in crypto five to 10 years from now, that they'll actually be crypto native institutions. Like we've seen some of these clients grow in a really impressive way. That to me, it seems more logical, even though it seems kind of a weird statement. I'd rather bet that the biggest institutions in crypto will be crypto institutions than the other way around. Mm,
0: That's interesting, which didn't seem like it would have been the case two years ago.
1: Correct. But if you look at the kind of size some of these folks are achieving and you play that out over five years, if things continue at their current pace, it will be really hard for you know, crossover folks Mm. who compete with that kind of size.
0: I want to give another shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leading platform for digital asset trade surveillance, market risk and transaction monitoring with some of the largest crypto exchanges and institutions in the world using Aventus to drive efficiencies, in their regulatory operations and mitigate the risks of fines and reputational damage. Visit AventusSystems.com today to find out why 80% of the firms who take a custom demo become clients. Shine a light on your trading today with Aventus. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go, 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. And interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. Maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Trezor hardware wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at Exodus.com today. How do you think, you know nfts and DeFi play into this story because they've seen almost like their own individual waves bear markets and bull markets kind of in the midst of like a nft renaissance if you will how does maybe a blockchain tap into that type of euphoria
1: well we're not really in the euphoria tapping business like we're more in the fundamental tapping business so i think for me what i'd like to see in the nft market is some maturation Ironically, I'd like to see pudgy penguins and whatever else go Mm. up in value less quickly. I think the NFT space is probably like uh, the equivalent of the ICO boom of the last run. You know, it's like irrational. DeFi, I think, is really where some fundamental value is being created this cycle. And if you remember, there was a DeFi boom Mm -hmm. last cycle as well, right? But then uh, transaction fees became too expensive. And, you know, when you look at projects like Sushi... I think they're creating real fundamental value for their customers, like on a very deep level. And that's the kind of thing that we want to be a part of and are a part of. With NFTs, I think there's probably like a cycle of maturation that needs to happen. You know, are people buying these assets because they truly love them? Like they're truly collecting these assets in this art or because they're expecting them to immediately 30X in value. And there's always a trade-off there, right? Like when you buy art, you know, or any collectible, you expect that it's going to go up in value over time. But are you buying it primarily because you love it? Or primarily because you think the value will go up? Like, what is the percentage of your motivations on either side of that continuum? And right now, to me, it feels like, you know, it's, it's really leaned heavily in the direction of I expect the price to moon immediately in the NFT market right now, rather than like, I just want to own this thing, because it's beautiful. And you know, I love the art.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of froth, but th- that's a hard kind of continuum to really suss out because art is. It not- doesn't
1: make for a snappy news story or a snappy tweet. Yeah, and the reason that it matters is because of stickiness. These so are like the least sticky have- users.
0: I mean, every day Correct. there's a new darling of the NFT market. Their volumes—they hit a billion this month. But you know, Crypto Kitties was the big dog 2017 then it was, you know, top top shot, shots and then now it's OpenSea. And it seems to change every three to six months.
1: And I think it's getting better. Like, I think I think OpenSea is a lot better than CryptoKitties or top Shots because it's sort of close to that vision of, like, independent creators in an independent market. But even when you look at, like, what's popular on OpenSea day by day, there's just so much volatility and variance. It's like, you know, and you look at how often assets trades hand and it's like, yes, these are collectibles. And then they're trading hands like multiple times a day. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I don't know if that screams collectible, <laughs> you know? And so I think it, it's just going to take some time. But I I do think that, you know, in the DeFi space, like there is some really cool stuff happening there. And I think particularly with Ethereum scaling coming out, like that's going to unlock the true vision and potential of like sovereign financial services. And that's something that we've believed in here since the very beginning. Like every single wallet user has their own private key. Like we've been doing this sovereign finance and DeFi thing for a very long time. And I could have never predicted the way DeFi would play out. You know, I thought that there'd be smart contracts on top Bitcoin. I'm that old. Yeah. You know, I'm like an old grandpa. I thought we'd be doing smart contracts and assets on top Bitcoin. But it's here now. Right? It's like finally here. And with a couple more scaling solutions out, it's going to literally be here: fast, cheap, decentralized transactions where you can do any financial operation anywhere in the world instantly, nearly for free. And that is that era of crypto is like almost upon us. And I think there's two really interesting implications of that. One is that while other layer ones will continue to exist and be ecosystem specific, probably, it does look like the opportunity to surpass Ethereum is all but over. You know, like there was a window where if Ethereum didn't scale and consumers really wanted to use DeFi applications and on-chain applications more generally, a different layer one could have overtaken Ethereum. And it looks like that era, that opportunity is the windows almost closed and closing really fast. And that's a huge deal in the market. And then the second thing is, it's actually going to be easy to build on-chain consumer apps in crypto, that era will start sometime later this year. And it's going to lead to an explosion of innovation, probably something like when Apple created the App Store.
0: What do you think some of the most prominent apps are going to be? What's going to find product market fit the quickest? Probably whatever app the block does.
1: I agree. It's going to be huge.
0: What else are you excited about? Um, are you guys still looking at potentially tapping the public markets yourself? Oh my goodness.
1: IPOs. Um, we are keeping a close eye on the public market. I think it's been really interesting to watch Coinbase trade Oh, falling now really
0: closely. What's the deal with like, like why doesn't the market, because at first I was like, all right, they're trading like Bitcoin, which makes sense because Bitcoin was going down post their IPO. All right, Bitcoin's rallied, you know, 10,000 or something like that uh, since the sort of bottom around 29. And I'd have to check the chart, but I don't think Coinbase is up that much. And they had a pretty good, no. pretty good earnings. So what, what's the deal with that? Like, why do they have this kind of like, they're up 1.2% today, but over, let's see, over the last month, yeah, they're up 12%, not bad, but, you know, still down. about. I think 1.2%. it's
1: going to take time for the public markets to get used to crypto companies, to like understand how to think about them, how to value them. It's like a whole, it's a whole education process, right? Which- I think people in crypto are familiar with, but it is a process. You know, the fact that, you know, here's a mind boggling one. Robinhood trades above Coinbase with less revenue, purely a consumer business, and like a huge percent of their their revenue overall as a company coming from Dogecoin trading. Yeah, it makes no sense. And arguably, Robinhood's almost a crypto company when you look at their revenue. But, you know, Coinbase is like trading at some kind of like crypto discount. And that's odd. So... I think for us, when we look at the public markets, we want to make sure it's the right time, both from a market perspective, like US public equities, and from where we're at as a company. You know, that really comes down to having the right board, having the right internal processes. And, you know, we're nearly there, but I don't know when the public market will be ready for us. Mm. And, you know, we're pretty different, like, we're very closely held company, we're minority investor owned. And it's gonna have to be right for our long-term path. When I think about going public, I think about when's the right time to go to public with where we wanna be in 2030. It's not about short-term liquidity or buying a new cappuccino machine or or anything like that. It's about where do we wanna be as a company in another 10 years. And so I think a big piece of that is is really giving the market, the public equities market, some time to absorb, crypto companies as an asset. And that's where we're at currently. I think there's also a certain amount of fatigue in the public markets right now. uh, And that may be contributing to where Coinbase is trading as well. Like there's so many new companies that have gone public. And when you talk to the coverage teams, they're just overwhelmed with like, how do we think about all these companies that just went public over the last 12 months?
0: Yeah, they have no idea.
1: Right? Like you used to be more, you know, closer to the public equities market, Imagine trying to even figure out how to write the press coverage of all these companies that have gone public recently.
0: Like what category do they fit in? Are they, are they tech companies? Are they brokerages? Are they exchanges? Not just that, but like,
1: you know,
0: it was the record
1: year for IPOs, for, you know, big companies going public. And there's so many that investors have to figure out that I think there's a certain level of fatigue right yeah. now. And so it's easier to just not figure out how we should think about a crypto company when you're also thinking about how do we evaluate this real estate company that just went public and, you know, this insurance company and, you know, this, it's just so on and so forth, right? And so I think that's there, um, but we're definitely keeping a really close eye on it and, you know, very interested in in being a public company. I think the other interesting thing for us right now is the M&A market. You know, we're really active in the M&A market. We have uh, four M&A deals in progress right now. Mm and look out over the market there's so many interesting companies that are being built today where you have a lot of synergies with them and so many talented entrepreneurs building in the space that you have to be really excited to be an acquirer right now and so that's something that we're really active in like when you look at the capital market side of our business corporate development we're probably spending more time on mergers and acquisitions and strategic partnerships than we are on you know raising capital or, or going public
0: you guys thinking about acquiring any sort of data information services company?
1: We're really deep on the news sector. <laughs> you know, we really want to acquire some news well, companies. Every, if you know, every, of one.
0: every time someone talks about M and always say that, and then my CEO uh, will message me after the uh, episode goes out to to scold me. Obviously, joking.
1: The block is very proud of being an employee owned collective.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're 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 just we're proud of um, that. Everyone's kind of like got a seat at the table. To an extent. Do you have a seat though? What is your seat like? What does it look like? Is it a throne? It's warm. I'm like, I'm sitting on my bed in my bedroom right now. <laughs> that is the natural evolution of a, of your journey in crypto. You like
1: start in a WeWork, you get a real office and then you eventually just go back to your bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I think it's worth talking about is like coming back to that idea of it being finally makes sense to build crypto apps now that there's scaling and there's this smart contracting ability. It's like... Mm-hmm. That's going to be really interesting to watch play out from like an investor and integration standpoint. Like how do we get customers access to all of these apps that are going to be created over the next three years? How do we think about investing in these apps? Because think about the internet, like before apps, how much did you use the internet? Like maybe once a day, you'd like log onto your computer and use the internet. And then there were were apps that could like drive value Mm. in your life. You know, like you could open up an app and do something. Like, now you're on the internet via your phone and apps like n- almost 24 hours a day. Yeah. The same thing is going to happen in crypto. And so the question is going to be like, how do you get customers access to those apps, the best apps? And how do you, how do you think about them for, as, a, as an investor? You know, to bring up a pain point that you were talking about, you know, it's like this login thing. People have been talking about micropayments paying for content online in crypto since, you know, Bitcoins came out, but it's never really been possible or scalable. And it finally will be like the block could launch a micropayments feature that could interact with my wallet programmatically. And instead of having to log in or pay a subscription to the block, it could just automatically pay for each article with one click. That's going to be, I think, where the market goes. And I think is what's going to drive that adoption that I was talking about earlier, where Crypto is just not a big part of the average consumer's life. Like there's probably a couple hundred thousand people in the world that live and breathe active trading. And they're very active on Twitter and on the block and they love Frank. But there's not like millions and millions and tens of millions and a hundred million people around the world that are using crypto every day, that are deriving real value from it every day. And the exciting thing over the next couple of years, and like the market's going to go down and it's going to go up. But the exciting thing is that the infrastructure there It's finally there to build like real products and real applications that get us to that hundred million people using crypto in a meaningful way every day.
0: You think blockchain can be one of the forces entities building these apps? I hope so.
1: You know, to date, like we're still the primary way that the primary app people use to actually transact in cryptocurrency, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, you know, we're the, the single largest source of transactions on chain. And that's only grown over time. But this is going to be a big shift. And I think being ready for that shift and being early on it is one of the big things that we're focused on.
0: You were my mom's first app. That's what we're here for. That's the the new slogan. Yeah, yeah.
1: blockchain.com. We're here to be your mom's first crypto app.
0: (laughs) Peter Smith, CEO of blockchain.com and co-founder. Thanks so much for coming on The Scoop. We'll have you again on soon. Thanks, Frank. Thanks. The Scoop will be back for you again with another exciting guest. Talk to you all soon.